you are hearing this, you are receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animate chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the letter F in your dictionary. And add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the definition of a fanboy, baby. I'm a nerd overdrive. I will always survive. Uh, I get the stuff uh, Vanilla Splendor, which is a granola, vanilla flavored granola with uh, freeze dried strawberries in it. No, oh, this is quinoa. Ah, uh, quinoa. Quinoa flakes. So, what I'm saying, this is LA. It's like yeah, yeah, the yeah. healthy cereal is like three times, the, the section is three times larger with more brands than I've ever seen before. Yeah. You're lucky to are not there. I believe each flake was hand woven. By a Guatemalan seamstress, uh, you know, with a specialty in Manila. So, hey, you know how we try and ease into these things real easy? Mm-hmm. I've got a perfect start for it. Ready? Take two. Hey, yeah. <laughs> what a fun week it's been. How spontaneous. Uh, this is... <laughs> well, I'm making it. I'm laughing. Uh, yeah, it is take two of, of take two. This is take squared oh my god it's like crisis on infinite podcasts hey this is Derek mccall editor-in-chief of fanboyplanet.com and we are podcasting on uh friday i'll say i'll say that yes uh we meant to be podcasting on thursday august 17th but it's actually friday august 18th so i don't know if much news has happened a little bit there's a little bit of updates so anyway of course across uh from me via skype or really, I'm coming in via Skype. He's at the Brett Cave in the Podcast Central, uh, of course, sitting at his table or his desk. I don't know, because I can't see a thing. I'm so embarrassed, and I'm Rick Brett Snyder. Yeah, well, I mean, it's all right, you know. Uh, I think it's, it's, all interesting I, it's an interesting idea that maybe we should do a, do a You Fill in the Gaps podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll start off slow by, by releasing 30 minutes of utter silence. I have to say, though, three, I have to say though, that... Without your track, my there's a long distance between when I talk. So, it's a, well, I know right? for people who are very, very creative, and then but the interjections <laughs> wouldn't make any sense at all. No, it's an improv game, and uh, I hope you didn't actually uh, delete that. Uh, because oh, it's gone. It could be interesting. It's gone. Uh, Sorry. No, it's all right. Well, I saw no reason to keep it. it. <laughs> I thought oh, about. I thought about it. someday. I think we should we should discuss setting up a Patreon site. And I was thinking, well, what can we give our Patreon people? We could give them uncut podcast recordings. Oh, God, help them. No, I don't think so. <laughs> no? Uh, no. Uncut? Good Lord. There's so many things we go, no, 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 don't say that. Uh, and, and wow, I, I suspect that we both just uh, sound about 20 IQ points lower. <laughs> uh, what, <laughs> you give it a, we sound brilliant <laughs> as it is, right? Well, hey, some... and you're listening through this so much, uh, people. It's, of course... Uh, on those cut podcasts at uh, iTunes or, or wherever, uh, please do uh, do tell your friends about us. Uh, and if uh, there's something we talk about on tonight's podcast that is uh, something you think you'd like to own for yourself, like uh, you know a book or a, 
We don't really talk about records. I, how, why do I always default to the word records when it's like, it's not even that anymore? An MP3, I guess. I don't know. We had uh, a cassette tape we could talk about. Uh, I don't. So, oh, don't. Uh, yeah. no. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, you know, you can, the point is that if you can't find it at your local brick and mortar store, you can, of course, go to the Amazon link on Fanboy Planet, where we do get a small uh, affiliate kickback uh, from any purchase made through the search box on fanboyplanet.com. As well as, of course, uh, I encourage you to support Think Geek. You know, if you're going to go and buy geeky stuff anyway, and we have an affiliation with that, and you use the link on Fanboy Planet, if you still got your eye on those tiki glasses, I do. I'm tempted. Uh, but uh, Still time for a should. summer tiki party. Oh, come on. There's going to be time for a September one. There might be one. There might even be time for an October one. Sure, here in California, uh, but I mean. Oh, sure. But, uh, and, I, and I do remind you, I, I don't know if you saw that. Uh, on Fanboy Planet, the the cocktail drink for um, let's get monster smashed, uh, a book of cocktail recipes to match with your uh, with your horror films. Nice. Oh yes, and it's perfect for those tiki glasses. So I recommend that at Think Geek, and as we're affiliated there. And if you just like to help defray the cost of the podcast, hosting the podcast on a website as well as hosting Fanboy Planet, uh, you can of course donate on PayPal through editor at fanboyplanet.com. As well as if you have any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, I, I want to go back to that compliment thing. I, you know, just uh, if you like what we're doing, uh, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. The other thing I'd say if. If you think that we should be talking about something that we haven't talked about that you want to hear about or our opinions, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. We do read letters and see, that's like records. I'm so stuck in you know my childhood here. Uh, we read emails or tweets on the, on the podcast. So uh, editor at fanboyplanet.com or you can tweet us at fanboyplanet. You can also, of course, follow us on our Facebook page at fanboyplanet. Anyway, we got some comics news, some movie news, some TV news, but we're going to start today, as I promised a couple of episodes ago. We've got to, I got so many interviews from Comic Con that we're going to just string them out over the next few episodes. Last week, of course, was a great uh, series with the cast and uh, creators of Batman and Harley Quinn, the uh, Warner Brothers home video. Uh, I, I call it the Tim Verse uh, movie uh, that. Uh, was released on digital on Tuesday, and it's going to be at the end of August uh, on Blu-ray and DVD. Uh, so we had a series of, of interviews there last week, including with Padgett Brewster and Kevin Conroy, who is you know, an iconic Batman voice, the iconic Batman voice right now. And uh, so today, uh, this week's episode, or I don't know if you call it this week's episode, um, I don't know when you're listening, uh, but this episode, uh, I sat down with uh, a comic book writer, uh, Nick Abadzis, he's also an artist, but, but right now people are going to be most familiar with him because of his writing. He, uh, this was arranged by First Second Books, which is a great, uh, they do a majority, a, a lot of YA graphic novels kind of off the beaten path from what I think, you know, if you walk into a comic book store, it's going to be dominated by superheroes, but, but first second has a lot of interesting, I don't want to say alternative, but almost educational. I mean, let's call them thought provoking graphic novels. Uh, in take one of this, I forgot to mention that he had actually written and drawn a graphic novel called Laika uh, about the first dog in space. 
and that's where it actually first encountered Nicobodzis's work. Uh, was I read that years ago and thought, well, it's kind of it's historical graphic novel, but an interesting meditation on on what it was like to be that dog. Uh, really great graphic novel. And then he just uh, wrote another one that just came out, uh, I think, a month ago now from First Second called Pigs Might Fly, which is a how am I going to say this right? A World War, an alternate Earth, World War One science fantasy in which the dominant species is not mankind but anthropomorphic pigs. And they, and I think they mentioned, and they they are magic users as well as technology users. So it's a uh, it's a really cool book. So true to life. So true to life. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Um, hey, we liked uh, the Bloody Red Baron. Uh, you know, as long as we, and the. The protagonist is a is a young uh, female, uh, young girl who is basically told you know, to keep in her place, and she's got dreams of flying. And so, you know, as he'll say in the interview, the pun is kind of obvious, but the charm is uh, it just goes on for days. He's also the writer of uh, the current Titan Books Tenth Doctor series, and uh, that's uh, I've actually encountered him a few months back at Gallifrey One didn't have time to talk just to say hey someday we should talk and then for a second at for comic con said hey here's a list of people and i went oh nick about this yes we want to talk to him uh and really nice guy and he also was on a panel with uh, ben costa of ricky stitch and the gelatinous goo so it was a nice connection there that uh you know it was kind of like a lot of people that i know and like started coming together at comic con i love hearing that so anyway without further ado there was a lot of ado. This is Nick Abazis. <laughs> I'm here at uh, Comic-Con at the first, second books and uh, Macmillan Publishing booth uh, with Nick Abazis. Who, did I say it right? You did, yes. Okay, good. Thank you. <laughs> who is a comic book writer, uh, graphic novelist of, of some renown. If you don't know his work, he's here promoting a new book called Pigs Might Fly. Correct. And have first, second, had previously written a book about the first dog in space, Laika. Not to be confused with the studio that made uh, Paranorman, but uh, <laughs> and, and Kubo and the Two Strings. But also, uh, Fanboy Planet listeners may be familiar because you read the Titan Comics Tenth Doctor uh, Doctor Who books, uh, and Nick is the, the writer of that. So, I would like to get a little to that, but I'd like to first start with Pigs Might Fly, uh, which I'm about halfway through, uh, or maybe a, maybe a third. Um, really interesting. We were just saying. There's not a lot of overlap in, in between what, what approach. So, the first thing is, what's your inspiration for Pigs Might Fly? Oh, I guess it comes down to the kind of ludicrous idea of flying pigs, essentially. <laughs> um, Does the title come to you first and go... Well, no, it was actually... Um, I wrote the uh, original outline about 20-odd years ago, back in the late 90s, um, and I pitched it way back when to a... Uh, a, a British publisher and, and um, who didn't take it and uh, it was sort of in the early days before YAGNs had really caught on in a big way and um, and back then it was called Aerial Honker Ace Hog of the Skies and it was always sort of and it was the same sort of case of mistaken identity where a, you know a little girl piglet is mistaken for this kind of you know uh, sort of red baron type character and, um, and the story was essentially the same and then over time I think I must have just put it in a back drawer somewhere and, um, and forgotten about it 
And uh, I came back to it uh, when Mark Siegel, editorial director of uh, First Second, was looking for... Uh, he said, why have you never written us a script? Why are we always talking about you writing and drawing things? And I was like, I don't know, Mark. Um, but he, he said, what have you got? So I pitched him that. I rem- remember that I had it, but I changed the title to Pigs Might Fly just for brevity's sake, because that's, that's such a great image in itself. And it it's, is. Um, and it just stuck. And... Um, uh, and it it, it, it it sort of all evolved from there, really. Uh, yes, and, and for, for those of you who have not yet read it, it it's uh, kind of a fantasy techno kingdom, like almost a World War One feel. You said the Red Baron. Yeah. That's a bit young girl. Definitely, I can see why it would resonate. Um, but then the question is, why set it there? Because you went way world building, like it opens with that map and all the all the pig puns and, and, yeah. and you know this whole issue with the warthogs and the technomancy. It's really an intriguing mix of ideas. So, well, I guess the kind of uh, I wanted to explore the idea of traditionalism versus progression and sort of a progressive thinking, and I guess the magic that's there in the book the uh, magic is real in this world of pigs and they use it sometimes to sort of help them build inventions so uh, but they've never achieved flight and um, uh, the main character Lily Lean Chops uh, builds the first working aircraft and she uses a little tiny bit of magic to, to help, help help it on its way and um, and I kind of wanted to kind of explore that idea of uh the fact that you know we're all creatures of circumstance and, uh, and, and and conditioned by the culture we're brought up in, and so are these pigs. Um, and they're advanced; they've got science, and they build things. Uh, but they're also kind of subject to their own traditions and their myths, and beholden to us in a certain way. Um, when I came up with that idea, I wasn't really expecting the world to kind of reflect. You know the current events of what's going on in the world. They sort of reflect sort of some of the uh, substance of the book so so well. You know that was a bit of a surprise. So, and the fact that it's come out and seems so timely is purely accidental. That was just me kind of being interested in those things all the way back down the line. Right. Yeah, and then the book's been three years in the making anyway. So you're dealing with nationalism. You're dealing with ethnocentrism. I mean, yeah. All uh, those things. It's all there. I mean, it's not. Discussed in any in, you right. Know, it's, it's not mouse. Yeah. It, it's uh, but it is an interesting way of kind of introducing. What would you say age range? Who is your target audience when you're creating that? Um, well, I, anything I guess over the age of twelve, all ages. I mean, I really kind of write and draw all my books for kind of uh, you know thoughtful people over the age of twelve who can handle big ideas <laughs> and, um, and 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 um, enjoy exploring them. Who've got that kind of inquisitive aspect to their own character I suppose because the, the lead character is very much you know she's a sort of creature of her origins but she's also very inquisitive she wants to find out about things and she doesn't just take the received wisdom she goes and finds out for herself and she's she's got that sort of explorative aspect to her to her nature um and you know, it's an adventure story too. It's a world of pigs, and you can have a laugh by calling things Piccadilly Circus. Or <laughs> I think that <laughs> might be my favourite part. Uh, <laughs> I, I got to own that, and not I didn't 
that was actually one that was contributed by my friend Maureen. So this one's for you, Mo. I'm, 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 I'm acknowledging that you made that one up. Most of them are mine, but she made that one up. So, um, you know, that's one of my favourite ones too. Do you think there's a through line to your work? We'll, we'll, we'll put Doctor Who off to the side, mm. which is obviously fandom drew you to that. But when yeah. you go back to your earlier work that is not, I guess, as mainstream, maybe, um, if we consider Doctor Who the maybe the best known, yeah. even if they don't... That's fair to say. You know, you know, is, what's the through line? What are the things that drive you as a writer? Good stories, really. Um, I... I like a good story. I love comics. That's my language. That's sort of what I'm steeped in and what I've used to express myself ever since I was very, very, very young. Um, I can't really remember it, but my mother tells me that I was drawing comics before I could even write properly or read because I was drawing sort of speech balloons and filling it with scribble in my drawings when I was a little kid, a very young kid. Um, And she's got the drawings to prove it. Um, So I was obviously drawn, no pun intended, <laughs> to that idea of, uh, you know, uh, words and pictures married together as a sort of storytelling vehicle. Um, I guess uh, I've always liked science fiction, I've always liked kind of fantastical worlds, but worlds that mirror our own world, you know, and I think that kind of science fiction and fantasy is a brilliant way of... Um, talking about what's going on in the real world and um, you can take parts of it that you want to talk about and and put them in a kind of more fantastical context and really spin it out really kind of have an adventure there an adventure with it and explore it in a way that you can't really in the real world because you get kind of bogged down with all the the detail of it and the um, uh, things always come with a a potentially explosive emotional content um, but if you science fiction enables you to kind of explore ideas without necessarily having to anchor them to the real world so I guess that's why um, I'm sort of drawn to those the sort of more fantastical things that doesn't really answer your question about like and I guess that's just really that is that I'm also a massive kind of history and space nut sort of buff um, and that story seemed to me to be a a very interesting one because it was about the first earthling in orbit around this planet but nobody had ever really told her story Mm -hmm. she was just this little muck without a voice who uh, was caught at this pivotal moment in history and although the book is about the dog ostensibly it's also very much about the people around it and that Mm -hmm. really really fascinated me I wanted to kind of uh, research and delve into those characters and it was a it was a huge work of research actually there's um it, it is a work of fiction in you sure. know in that i've added to it and i've sort of stitched a lot of the events together with events to um sort of dramatize it all but um equally you know there's 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 nothing in there you know in, in certainly in the latter half of that book that didn't really happen and there's an awful lot of um um, quotes that are sort of public woven record. into it. Yeah. So it's, well, I think maybe we have stitched together that through line that gets you to Doctor Who. Because I think everything you just said is, if you sum all that, maybe a little bit of history, a little bit yeah. of fantasy, <laughs> and good stories. So, you know, you um, are currently writing the 10th Doctor Adventures. Yeah. Um, and what I found really fascinating about, I had not thought about it, 
you've really made the effort, although many people may not notice it, to place it in a continuity with the television series. Yes. And, and let's see if I can remember, it's the Planet of the Dead, is that? Correct. Yeah, the, the one, Jewel uh, and before, is it Waters of Mars? Is it in between those yeah. two? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I've been, I've left it deliberately vague. Um, it could conceivably come before Planet of, Planet of the Dead, but in my mind, it was always just post, just after that, because he's conscious of the fact that he's, he's been told that his song is ending soon. Um, and I think but what soon for the for a Time Lord? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. So soon for a, a Time Lord could be a, a much much longer time than it could would be for a human being. And I sort of feel that in every Doctor's life there are these pockets of time that we don't know about. All these sort right. of unbroadcast adventures, you know, not not seen on TV, as it were. Right, and um, and I kind of think that during that period, I mean, we knew it on screen as the sort of year of specials. I think the Tenth Doctor probably had a hell of a lot. He mentions at the end in his last adventure, the end of time, when um, Ood Sigma is telling him that he shouldn't have delayed. He goes, "Oh, I've been all over the place, you know. I've yeah. uh, met the Red Carnivorous more, and there's all, and he sort of reels off these all these adventures quickly. And I'm like, there's so much in that." And for a storyteller, that kind of thing is a gift. And Russell T. Davis was always chucking things like that into his yeah, scripts. It was you know, wonderful. And, and, and that's a question. I'm going to go fan to fan here. American fan to someone who probably mm. grew up with it more right. than I got to. I came to it late. You know, um, I watched Tom Baker and, and a little bit. While yeah, he was, was, he was my here. doctor crying yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's a, we, we occasionally had it over yeah. here. Um, did the original series do that? Did it provide those kinds of gaps? Because I watched the new show and being aware of comics and novels, it feels like those Russell T. Davis and, he and Stephen Moffat are both throwing in these gaps, so it's up to you guys. And how much... Did you get any guidance or notes back say, no, you can't do that? Um, originally, when we first started... Um, uh, um, I got I got some great notes from Derek Ritchie, who was uh, I think he was the story editor, script editor at the time um, at BBC Wales, and they were great notes. I mean, Derek's a really really smart guy who went on to produce the show, and and he kind of and then I think he got, he got to a point he said something to me like Ah, you know what you're doing, and just sort of left me to do it, so, which was you know lovely because um, it meant that he they you know they they were sort of guiding us at first, and then we got they got to the point where they just trusted us to go off and do it um, um, so no now we're pretty much left to our own devices uh, which is a really really wonderful thing uh, there's an awful lot of trust you know, you're told very much that you're an ambassador for the show uh, and I wouldn't have taken it on without I mean it's a character I absolutely adore which is probably clear anyway from the yeah. uh, you know and I'm steeped in it I mean I grew up watching Doctor Who it's, it's it, along with kind of Tintin and certain kind of comic characters he's the character that's been he I should say he she now well I'm going to ask you yeah well <laughs> um, a little he's been with me for the you know the longest time so um, um, yeah it's, uh, it, it's it's always been there so I guess I'm steeped in it I'm in it to backtrack a little answer there are gaps in the old show yeah it depends what era you're looking at if you look at the fifth doctor the Peter Davison era kind of a lot of his adventures sort of flow into the next one there's, a, there's, there's you've really sort of got a um, sort of crowbar open the cracks that fit 
um, an extra adventure in which Big Finish, the uh, audio company, have been really, really good at doing. Oh, yeah. Um, But, I mean, it's much easier with, like, a longer-lived Doctor like Tom Baker or or a Doctor like uh, the Eighth Doctor like Paul McGann or or the Sixth Doctor where there's these huge unbroadcast gaps in their lives. It's really easy to sort of say, well, all this stuff happened during those periods. Um, With some of the kind of Doctors who are shorter-lived, like maybe the third Doctor, the John Pertwee Doctor, I think it's probably a little more difficult. I, I haven't actually got to write him yet, so I don't know. I don't know that from experience. Paul Cornell, a mate of mine, oh, has. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, of course, Paul's... Paul's um, well, like you, know, you said, it, yet. So, <laughs> if, if Titan came back to you and said, uh, where would you like to go? I mean, would you take another Doctor on, or do you get to participate in the crossovers? I, I, uh, what's funny you should ask that, because I actually have just written part of the, this year's big crossover, The Lost Dimension. Um, and I started with my Doctor, my current Doctor, the Tenth Doctor. Um, there's a little cameo in there from the Third Doctor. So I guess technically you could say that I've written him. Uh, but I've just finished writing a script for the Eleventh Doctor. Um, and there's also a cameo in that from the Second Doctor. So I can now add the Eleventh and the Second to my... where I've genuinely put uh, dialogue in their mouths and had to kind of deconstruct their cadences and how they you know how they speak and express themselves and that's that's for a writer for me you know I, I love doing that because it means I get to watch old episodes so I watch loads of old Matt Smith and Patrick Troutman episodes I may need that job I just wrote yeah. it as an excuse it's, it's, it's awesome you know it's just the best part of it really you just sort of get to bathe in that and um, soak it all in and it was, it was sort of interesting actually how because um, a friend, another friend of mine, John Arnold, who writes a lot of scholastic stuff about Doctor Who, and very good it is too, he um, he said, "Oh, I don't envy you that because so much of Troughton's performance is, is on screen." And I thought, "Yeah, it, it is." But what was interesting was how quickly the voice, or, or I was, I always start, I guess, by there's a part of me that mimics the voice or the cadences, tries to kind of grasp the way that they express themselves in my head. And the Trout stuff came very quickly. It was in- interesting. The, the, the Matt Smith stuff was more difficult because I had to sustain it over, you know, a whole issue. And I had to make sure I'd got it right. And I was getting paranoid. I was sort of running over it all and thinking, have I, have I caught it? Have I caught it? And Andrew Jones, my editor, went, yeah, you totally nailed it. Don't worry. It's fine. <laughs> so, well, so, and then the big thing this yeah. week is, uh, yeah. how do you feel about the announcement of the new Doctor? Which I'm sure is positive, but I mean... Uh, I am really, really happy about it. I'm really, really happy about it because um, I told my daughter, who is currently vacationing with my brother in the UK, so she wasn't with me when it got announced. Um, so I couldn't experience her, her reaction in real time. I had to kind of phone her, and she was absolutely over the moon. She's 12 years old. She's a total, you know, her, her doctor that she grew up with was Tenor, the 10th mm-hmm. doctor. And we have a game where she's always kind of like, you know, do, do the Doctor, Daddy, and I'll do a stupid imitation, yeah. tent, which I'm not going to do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so don't look like that. That's for her. I, I, do, I do it when I'm pacing up and down, testing out dialogue. But um, um, she was absolutely ecstatic, and, and I'm really, really happy. But from my point of view, um, I, I, I guess I have a lot of female characters in my work. Yeah. Um, that's never anything that I've kind of done deliberately. It's just, I guess, something that subconsciously has been mm-hmm. 
there. And I, I love the idea of placing, a, you know, putting a female lead at the centre of the adventure, making them the, he- the hero. Um, I think that that's really, really important in this culture uh, today. And I think n- now, you know, never more so. Um, and Doctor Who has just stepped up to the plate and just demonstrated that it's completely current. It's, it's right there at the front of it. Um, I'm, I, I, there was a part of me that I will admit wished that they had cast a, uh, a person of colour, yeah. maybe even a black female doctor, dare I say that, because yes. that would probably freak a lot of people out, but I think that would be wonderful. Um, an actress like maybe um, Susan Wacoma, who's in Crazy Head. I think she's kind of got a doctorishness about her. Wow. That, um, she's wow, kind of I haven't finished Crazy Head yet, but I love her. Yeah, isn't she great? She's great. <laughs> she's, she's so funny. She plays the sister in Chewing Gum, which I don't know if you've watched that. Uh, I haven't um, yet, but I know I, yeah, it's on, I think it's on Netflix yeah, it's over also here. on Netflix, so. yeah. Okay, she's just hilarious. She's just got this fabulous mobile face yeah. and she can express anything she's a really really good actor um, so yeah so that's but I you know Jodie Whittaker's fantastic I love her um, you know I loved her in Broadchurch so I, I, I'm I'm over the moon about it I think Doctor Who is going to just go from it's been going from strength to strength since it came back in 2005 and part of my remit is very much to sort of write comics in the spirit of the Russell T Davis era, right. which, which I do, you know, I try to recapture that and add a lot of my own stuff. But now we've got a really exciting new era to look forward to, and everything's going to change. And that's a complete gift for a writer, you know. So a, a female doctor, okay. I'm really looking forward to seeing what Chris Chibnall does with it. It's brilliant. All the sort. Thank you for taking the time to talk about this, and we look forward to Pigs Might Fly <laughs> coming you. out soon. When is it released? It's actually out. It's been out. Uh, okay. Yeah, I didn't see any July. copies in the booth, and that's why. I, really? Maybe they sold. Uh, <laughs> maybe. Um, <laughs> maybe they're saving it for you to sign it yeah, too. Probably. So yeah. probably that's what it is. Uh, that's good. All right. So excellent. Thank you so much. Once again, thank you to First Second Books for setting that interview up. And, of course, uh, San Diego for hosting Comic-Con time and time again. Let's get into some comics news. Uh, There was an announcement yesterday. uh, We're going to talk a little digital comics uh, that uh, this was, I think, kind of big news. One of my favorite platforms in the digital comics arena is Madefire. They do these fantastic uh, motion comics. and you know what? I'm I'm totally blank. Mono. That's it. Uh, I I fell in love with what they did years ago with a book called Mono, um, which is about kind of a caveman. Uh, He's a World War II soldier. Kind of a throwback, uh, apish guy. It's like one of the greatest. If it's, Monk Mayfair, yeah, it's tar- been, you know, Tarzan with the tail. Yeah, it, it, it's like I I wish that had been a pulp book. Actually, they did do. They did. I have I have the prose book of that. I have the prose book too somewhere. I realized that I was like, wait, I did read that. Uh, so now I just got to find it in the stacks. Where the heck did my copy of Mono go? Uh, but they do uh, you know, on uh, computers and iPad and tablets and and your phones motion comics, which are more than I think we've been talking about this. You know that Marvel does Marvel Infinite comics, which is just kind of I think minimal animation gives their their digital comics a, a little bit of a cinematic feel, but it's not what Madefire is doing. 
And Madefire has some really great backing. Dave Gibbons is is there. Liam Sharp is one of the founders. Um, Liam, of course, just finished a, a I guess technically twelve and a half issue run because he was alternating with uh, with with another artist on Wonder Woman. Uh, so he, he just did a year run on, on Wonder Woman and, and really kind of at a, at a perfect time became one of the definitive artists of, of, of that character. Uh, he's just a, a, a really nice guy um, as well. But uh, they announced yesterday that DC Comics are coming through Made Fire. Now, IDW had been doing uh, motion comics through Made Fire. And I think DC had, I want to say Injustice might have had mm, uh, had had um, motion comics, um, just it was just a few. I, I think it was things that were digital comics anyway, digital only or digital initially. They experimented with being on the Madefire app, but now um, they did everything it, from like My Little Pony to yeah, that's Planet IDW. Yeah, Star Star Basically, the IDW run was so there were Transformers, Star Trek, but now to have DC, Batman. Wonder Woman, Superman. Still not sure exactly how far deep into the catalog it goes, but in addition to uh, what we call it, Dark Knight's Metal, number one, which came out Wednesday, uh, was given a motion comic. Uh, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman were given were given motion comics, uh, and Justice they're going Lee. and they're doing back issues, you know, as well. So they're converting a lot to the Made Fire platform and that's interesting i will be really interested now that we've had an, another day to kind of like follow up a little bit and, and and go deeply is what kind of impact that will have i've i've felt that dc has been a little lagging in the digital arena other other than i think as we've said before a very smooth uh interface through comiXology as smooth as it gets i you know i i like comiXology and i, I saw as being digital comics you know they're celebrating their 10th Anniversary. I can't believe that digital comics are 10 years uh, have been going on that long, but I saw Chip Mosher at Comic-Con, and I said, you know, you guys, Comicology saves me every every year for the uh, for the pro-fan trivia contest at Comic-Con. Right. Because I can go, oh, whatever it is I need, they have it, <laughs> you know, with the ex- possible exception of some Marvel stuff. Um, but then Marvel Comics Unlimited has it. So, um, you know, it's... Uh, it's, it will be interesting to see where where DC goes with this, and, and will that get people excited? I, you know, I can remember we talked to Dave Gibbons years ago. Uh, I, I don't remember which podcast episode it made it into, but we had the conversation where he was absolutely convinced that digital comics were the future and motion comics were the future because that made it was going to make sense to a whole new generation of readers. So I'll be interested to see if a whole new generation starts buying DC through through Madefire. So. You have any thoughts? Did you have a chance to to look at any anything? Well, I did. Their catalog is is fairly um, fairly rich. They've got most of the the JLA. They've got like Batman Beyond and some other stuff. The mm. the the thing about it is, I mean, the difference between the, the the motion comics that actually DC did a motion comic of Watchmen a number of years ago, and yes, and Marvel I have that DVD and Marvel's done uh, a number of books in the the infinite uh series but those are more like movies and these are it's those are mo- movies in which they actually occasionally do some figure motion 
Mm-hmm. And the Made Fire stuff isn't figure motion. It's more interactive in the viewing and and seeing around things, moving moving your perspective. So the the um, I actually uh, downloaded um, one of the previews, and I hate to say it, but they're not. They're just doing static pages. So it's no. Oh. It's uh, it's it's showing up nicely. It's readable, but it isn't. It isn't really even the way Marvel has their tracking from well, pan- that panel was, to panel. That, that'd be interesting, I think, because to me, this experiment is these are things that were drawn one way, and I think that was one of the flaws with. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the Watchmen. The, I don't mean to say the Watchmen, the motion comic of Watchmen. Mm-hmm. Um, those panels were not designed to be – they were not drawn to be shown on a television screen. No. Uh, they were not drawn for motion. It's just like I, I described the Infinite Comics as being like with a Marvel superhero show of the 60s. You know, it was where they cut corners by just moving figures from Jack Kirby's original art. Like you could have episodes that would have, oh, that's a Kirby panel. But watch, uh, and then they watch, used Watchmen did, did animate some figures. They did oh, move, no, it move did. arms and stuff. It did, um, it did, but it was still awkward because yeah, they were still working off of the they basic had to b- drawing. Blow things up, and all the Watchmen stuff was um, was like nine panels per page, kind of thing, in a lot mm-hmm. of cases. And so, the when they blow it up, it really gets kind of like muddy looking. So, but when you when you look at things like Mono and I think it's the disappearance of oh, Captain Stone, those are beautiful. Those are beautiful because they were designed that way. Yeah. They were, you know, that was they were challenging each other. And, uh, and I and I still say, it go people go back and check it out. They're also doing Overwatch books, <laughs> and I've downloaded that. And my son has read the Overwatch books that that they that they do. Um, and again, those were drawn to to be that way from the from the beginning. And they've given backgrounds and and detail to it. Yeah. That, that, that you know, I love Dave Gibbons' art, but when you see Watchmen blown up that way. It's like, well, it was it was designed to be on a comic book page. Yeah, if you look at the if, if you look at the way the Madefire stuff is done, the layers they're using are more distinctly about objects and shapes and stuff. So they'll have the distinct layers that are going to be used in a regular comics page. There are multiple layers, but they're usually like, here's the blue blue line layer, here's the inking layer, here's the shading mm-hmm. layer, and then here's the color layer. And so those aren't going to directly, you know, you're going to have to have somebody go go in and and really have to rework them or change the way they're originally drawn if this is financially viable for them. So, Okay, see, so that's that's interesting. We shall see. Anybody using this, checking this out, write in and, and let us know what your experience has been. Uh, so let's get to rumors. Uh, I just, I normally don't, but this one's just funny to me that it was a, a rumor because it feels so Hollywood now that DC is out in uh, Burbank. I'm not too far away, less than 10 miles away. But Jonathan Hickman... Uh, the uh, great, great comics writer was spotted having lunch with Jim Lee at uh, the, the Warner Brothers commissary, and it feels just like a '30s Hollywood gossip uh, gossip thing. Uh, the ru- rumor has been that DC is courting Jonathan Hickman uh, to come and write something for them. He tweeted, uh, "DC editors, you can stop emailing me. The answer is yes. I've destroyed one superhero universe." Don't think I wouldn't love to do another because, of course, he just finished. I just want to say just. Let me just figure <laughs> that out. It was like two years ago. Uh, Secret Wars. Uh, but he'd also done the Future Force 
uh, or Future Foundation, I'm sorry, uh, and that that really cool uh, historical shield uh, book that I know you you oh, yeah. loved. Oh yeah, it was the know, he, hidden histories of Shield back to the uh, antiquities. So I really don't necessarily want him to do hidden histories of DC because I think every DC crossover seems to be uh, creating a new layer of hidden history. But I would like to see him take something on. Uh, the rumor being that it would be uh, a, a rebirth uh, Legion of Superheroes, which would be cool because then he could he could have his own corner of the DC universe by setting be setting far in the future. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, that that'd be awesome. And and that's one of those the the book has been rebooted any number of times. But one thing consistent about it is that they do tend to try and create complete worlds around the uh, around the mm-hmm. legion you know how it works with the government how it works with the planets what the problems are persisting between planets and mm-hmm. stuff so that's meaty enough for hickman yeah yeah and then maybe you know one or two spin-offs from that let's get a karate kid book revival uh, i love the karate kid book back in the oh that was great 70s? that was great that was great yeah it was yeah. the 70s yeah yeah, yeah. all right uh speaking of, but one of those hidden history books that is happening of course did mention that Dark Knight's Metal is out there, and uh, the Justice League uh, characters uh, is running through as they encounter the evil Batman that are coming out of the Dark Multiverse. Uh, and the crossover had originally been called Justice Insurgents, but now they've changed it to the much more uh, resonant with me, uh, the great pun of it's now called Bats Out of Hell. So... You were going to buy it one way or the other, perhaps, or you weren't going to buy it. But I just love that they changed that. And it's funny that it was kind of so late in the game because uh, Dark Knight's Metal is out and the crossover is. I'm going to look because they, cause they have this guide. Um, the first one would be, uh, I guess it's Green Arrow. Uh, oh, in October. Okay. So September and October. Uh, I'm sorry, Teen, Titan, uh, Teen Titans. That come Teen out Titans, week? yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure if that was part of Justice Insurgents. No, that's that's not, the only yeah yeah. So, um, but yeah, I didn't pick up Teen Titans because I've been in L.A. I, oh, it's I mean, not in. It's Teen Titans number twelve. I think is the first one. On, yeah. That doesn't happen until September. Okay. So there's so, only like t- on this checklist, there's only like two a month. Or, or two DC. two a week, two a week, two a week. Oh, Sorry. only two a week. But at yeah. least uh, at least they're books you were likely to have been. Well, uh, my question yeah. is is always with these events, and is can you just read the core book and get the story out of it, which has been the the case with um, Secret Empire. The core book on that has been fantastic, and it's been inclusive yeah. of just about all the plot beats that uh, that you've needed yeah. needed to follow. The yeah, there, I'm only there's uh, I'm not buying anything I wouldn't normally buy. But I think you could get by with this, with that one with just reading uh, the main book and maybe Captain America. I think that's about where I am. I picked up one of the spinoffs, uh, the first issue, and went, yeah, this is – it was well done, but it yeah. wasn't adding anything. I didn't feel like it added anything to the story. So well, it's in Champions, too, and it's in you know it's in sure. a number of other books. But yeah. well, I would say the things we're normally buying, and, yeah. and, and they're enriching it, I guess, but yeah. not um, – but you're right. I would rather – that's what I like, you know, and I said before, I think that Secret Empire, if they had just presented that as its own story and almost like a weird what if, people wouldn't have been as upset. 
you know, uh, I mean, I think it's an interesting, I still think it's a well done story. I mean, the appearance of Hank Pym or Ultron wearing Hank Pym's face creeped me out like crazy, you know, and it was like, that's, they're really cool elements. And yet I feel like I'm reading an alternate universe, which I'm sure will, will happen, you know, and I think if it had been presented that way from the beginning, Instead of being so allegedly Any, anything where the MacGuffin is the cosmic cube, you know, it's like anyway, they can patch that up in a second. That's a that's a two paragraph resolution, you know. And, and as we said months ago on the podcast, patience, everybody, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and uh, you know, and then the Red Skull will be back. Uh, so let's turn to what's in the bag. We're kind of dancing around it. What did you What did you pick up this? Week? <laughs> well, we can go uh, much faster on take two. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm still going to lead in with the fact that back uh, back in the day when um, when Matt Wagner came out with Grendel, I I was so over the top with Grendel. But Grendel was such an incredible, um, violent, and anti hero book. And then he came. Then Wagner came out with this mage character, which was like the antithesis of Grendel in, in every, almost every way. Art style was was different, and the the beats were different. The characters were different. Um, there was a levity and a, a, a creative mm-hmm. fantasy to it that we'd not seen before. The urban urban fantasy has become very popular in the days since, but urban fantasy wasn't a big deal back in those days. And so you had this Kevin matchstick character who, you know, it's the Fisher King, the, the, uh, the Arthurian level legend of, he will come back when he's needed kind of thing. Um, along with this, I can't remember this. What was the slogan around magic? Magic is something or magic is green. Oh. Was it magic is green? Maybe that might've been it. Um, I just know that sometimes it was hero discovered. You know, that's all. Yeah, yeah, about. yeah. That's and you had that great character of Mirth, who yeah. every issue there was something crazy going on with Mirth. So that was the the hero discovered, and then we had I've forgotten what the the uh, you know fifteen years later we had part two, and that was uh, I I can't remember what the the slug slug was on that one, but. This past week, uh, following hot on the heels of issue zero, we got issue one of the Hero Defined Mage, and this has been my favorite book this week as far as uh, as far as it's recaptured everything. At the same time, it feels fresh. It's taking the character in directions that I would not have expected, uh, and we've got some re- revisions to the old the old mythology here that are that are kind of lurking in the background. You know, they'll come forward soon enough, but. Um, really looking forward to this. This is a trilogy that is uh, is really delivering on what they promised. Well, and what I, I love about it more than anything is is Matt Wagner's had a huge impact on the industry. But the, when he came out with, you say, the one two, kind of the one two punch of of Grendel, who may not be that well known now because he did he he allowed others to take that character in so many so many different versions, different too. directions. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, that uh, that when Mage first came out, this was the promise that there, it was going to be a mini series, or I guess maxi series, right? Because the original was like fifteen issues. Yeah. Uh, so a maxi series, and then fifteen years later, he would revisit the character, and you know that it's almost like some people think this is almost too pretentious, but you know it, it's like uh, it, it, it's like uh, John Updike's Rabbit books. 
oh, with yeah. Harry Angstrom. You know, let's check in. Where is that character now in life? Kevin Matchstick has gotten older, and what has changed? And not only is society, you know, um, it, it, to me, rare in comics that this gets to happen for a creator who has a bold plan, and he stayed well enough in the spotlight that he could finish it. You know, see it all the way through. Like I was just discussing with my son about uh, the fourth world and how, you know, whatever had gone on politically with Jack Kirby in DC, you know, going back to no matter how he just read that new gods one from a couple weeks ago, that, that tribute and saying like how, you know, Kirby came back and got to at least say how he thought the saga should end with the hunger dogs. Yeah. But every, but everything else, you know, I mean, DC is, it's like Watchmen, right? By doing before Watchmen, and then we're going to have it in, in the DC universe. You know, everything else has to be, uh, you know, they just have to be kind of retelling the story and, and they can't close it off that way. And you know, I really got to dig up my hunger dogs because my copy of that, because I'm thinking, I don't really remember. I, I remember Orion finding peace. And I thought at that point in my life, I probably didn't, get that the resonance of that as a strong ending the way I would now. Um, but, you know, again, really cool that Wagner got to do that. So, yeah, uh, I, next I, on, I have to correct okay. myself. I called it the hero defined without looking at the cover. It's the hero denied. Is hero denied. Yeah. So, yeah, the first one was hero. Discovered. No, that was it. Hero discovered. I think the second one was the hero defined. Okay, that was defined. Then this is and that maybe it was stuck in your head. Yeah, and yeah, the hero yeah. denied. Yeah. So uh, you know, any of you know Arthurian legend? Yeah, that 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 fits perfectly well too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first on mine, I I have a note here is from Image. Um, it's a book called uh, Spy Seal, and I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to say I'm recommending or denying it. I thought it was a really well done book. I'm just not sure who it's for, uh, and I my attention was caught by it because I had read. Uh, a couple of commentaries online, one from the creator whose name right now is completely escaping me. And I apologize uh, that he, that uh, the orders were low for this book. And there was kind of concern, like what does it take to market a book? What does it take to get people excited? And um, so when image sent the PDF, I was like, okay, I want to take a look at this book and it's really well done. It is by the title spy seal. It is about a story. Story, art, and cover by Rich Tomasio. Rich Tomasio. Okay. So there we go. Uh, really comp- more than competent artist. It looks very much like a Tintin book. Uh, Hergé, if if uh, every character in Tintin was an animal uh, other than Snowy. and uh, But it's also just like a straightforward spy thriller. And, and it's almost like it would – if it was humans – it wouldn't be as cool because it's like, well, we've kind of seen the story before, but not with seals and storks and cats and dogs. And, uh, you know, it's about this guy, this unemployed uh, guy living in London who, who gets involved in a, in a, in spy activity. And by rescuing somebody who's working with MI6, they recruit him into the agency and he's a seal. Okay. You know, it's not even like a, an American Navy seal joke or anything. It's not a joke. It's played very straight. Uh, so I'm not sure if I'd say it's YA. Um, but if you like good comics, I'm, I, I, I'm still trying to work, work my way around to, to who is this for? You know, I, I looked at it since, since you had that 
we had this discussion before. And yes. I, I, the one thing it reminded me of was Omaha Cat Dancer. Which, Omaha the Cat Dancer, yeah, Reed Rurley, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, the other thing, the other note, thing I note about it, it is very text dense. There's there's a lot to read oh. in, a lot, in a lot of these. Panels. Oh yeah, no, I so think it's a very. There's a lot of story going on here. It's a thick. Yeah, yeah. There I, there is and there isn't, and that's I think what keeps it from being like a kids book is it's I, not the com- it's the complexity see- of the geopolitical. Yeah. I mean, he's not pulling punches about the politics that would be involved in spying, and so I'm like, ah, oh, well, I don't know if I would hand that to a ten year old. Yeah, Maybe. I, could, I could see this. I could see this having a fairly strong life as a graphic novel collection. Yeah, I think the individuals, and there we go. We've talked about this before too. Is you know, is the old way of comics is that viable, especially for books like this? So we shall see. What's next on your stack? The next thing on my stack is you know we talked about favorite favorite books this week, but when I talk about Saturday morning cartoons and sitting down. Uh, in front of the TV in footy pajamas and, and a bowl of cereal uh, last week. No, a uh, long time ago. Um, my number one comic uh, art cartoon favorite was Johnny Quest, but following very closely after that was Space Ghost. And so coming out of uh, Future Quest, we have issue number one of Future Quest Presents Space Ghost, um, which is just a splendid book uh, delivering... All the Space Ghost beats plus plus backstory and complexity that you wouldn't have gotten in the regular cartoon series. And actually, I wasn't really happy with um, the part that Space Ghost played in the Future Quest storyline. He was he's kind of backstory. You know, it was more the Quest family and what was going on on Earth. So this sure. is putting Space Ghost and the twins front and center. Um, You've got Jeff Parker as the writer, but what this book really has a creative that I love. It's it's Ariel Olivetti doing just just lush art. Just um, his his art style is is a painting look. There there isn't a lot of accent on uh, on shadow lines around things. It's it's very vibrant no, colors. It is gorgeous. And, it is gorgeous yeah. work. And and he he transitions out of. Um, like memory is done in a black and white kind of uh, mm-hmm. overlay on the I mean, remembering spaces and things that happened in him. It was really, really very cinematic. And bonus, Herculoids show up towards the end of the book, and they look like they're going to be part of the plot. So you got another another Hanna Barbera lovely uh, science fiction um, unsung. Uh, how how wonderful the Herculoids was! How crazy that team was. Uh, space, yeah, yeah. space cavemen, but it made sense, you know. So no, it didn't. But that's okay. We didn't need it to. <laughs> that's what I love about the Hanna Barbera adventure stuff. Um, I can't believe. So you did you go? But you got the Space Ghost Green Lantern crossover, right? I did not. And oh, I, see, I, I think I just forgot to put all that stuff on my pull list. And when I realized that I hadn't, I thought, surely they will come out with a collection of all these individual issues. You know that I, I think that's. Yeah. And that's actually where I am with what's the other book series? Oh, the um, uh, the Marvel, uh, the ones that are pairing the the, the legacy books. Um, mm. I'm not buying any of those because that's something I think I will enjoy better as a collection of one-off yeah. stories. Yeah. So. Well, I think if they do a collection, which would probably cost less uh, than having bought the individual issues, True that's that. a smart way to go because they're yeah. enjoyable. 
they're enjoyable for being less money. Uh, so that's good. My, my next one is um, <clears throat> Deadpool 2099. It's actually a trade paperback, uh, sort of. $14.99 is the cost. It's five issues from the post-Secret Wars Deadpool revival by uh, Jerry Duggan and Scott Koblish, uh, who were at Earth 2 uh, signing on Wednesday night. Uh, and they did, of course, have a celebratory Deadpool 2999 sheet cake. So if you're in Los Angeles, there's a signing. There's cake or cookies, but always a good treat. But uh, And sheet cake was very apropos this week. So uh, that was that was nice to see. It's a grassroots movement, Rick. Uh, so um, anyway, this is... I had not realized uh, this was a smart move on, on Marvel's part that the way Jerry and Scott do the book is that they jump forward in time and they've got this... They've got these weird subplots that they will not revisit for like five or six issues and so they become these sort of one-offs and then you realize there's a pattern so they've gathered all these future deadpool uh stories together which though it is one story uh they appeared like five or six issues apart and so they separated that out for its own trade paperback and this is like the deadpool version of batman beyond uh it's it's not not that I was that much into the Marvel 2099 from whatever year that actually started in sometime in the 90s, yeah, I guess yeah. if that makes sense. Uh, it was not like one of my favorite concepts. I read a couple, went, yeah, it's okay, but you know, but this is just fun because it doesn't feel like like that what that was back then. So um, the, it's a it's a really cool, fun book and a, and a decent price to jump on board and 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 you get this one self-contained story that still ties back to the larger Deadpool continuity. And as I, I've, I've said many times, I was not a really big Deadpool fan, uh, but before the movie, uh, you know, everybody leaped on board because the movie was so well done. But what I liked was, uh, you know, Jerry Duggan and Brian Pusain's run initially was, yeah. uh, got me into the character. Otherwise he was just sort of a, okay, he's funny, but I don't need to read his book. <laughs> But they did such great work with it, and Jerry on his own, who's also doing all new Guardians of the Galaxy, which has been a really great book as well. Uh, you know that that um, this is this is a pleasant surprise every time I pick it up. Isn't so, Spider Man twenty ninety nine still being published? Did that get canceled? Again? I don't I don't know if he is. It was it was I, it hasn't been that long since it was. If it did get canceled, so that's the one that keeps coming back. Yeah, I mean, I think this last one was just so tied into so many other crossovers that without a crossover i'm not sure it had a need to exist well for a while so, spider-man 2099 was in present day so that got even yeah. more confusing so yeah. yeah 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 so anyway what's next on your stack the last one you know it's it's a pleasure this week to have three books that i'm solidly behind because i feel like the last few weeks i've been like well my psa to watch hunt to avoid this week is but well but it's I, good that we have those weeks too yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, we save other people money. Um, this week so we have donate on PayPal. <laughs> we have yeah, save send us that save money. Uh, this week we have the latest iteration of the Kirby Classics books that are coming out from DC and honoring the hundredth birthday of Jack Kirby. Uh, all praise be. Um, and this is Sandman oversized special. This book, more than any of the ones that have come out before is so jack kirby it's it's almost painful to re to revisit what we've lost in not having the man around i just from the first page and you just break down this first page you've got the 
the block of text at the beginning giving you the the background to it and then the splash title and then then the credits and then the character leaping off the page directly at you with his his uh cohorts uh brute and glob behind him this is just kirby distilled uh it's it's essential kirby it is perfect rendition of kirby down to the panel sizes composition you have on the fourth and fifth pages and even into the sixth page you have the um the photo montage of sandman flying through the dreamscape with all these photographs that have been i've forgotten the 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 actual term for this but when you put uh pictures together to create a new picture with with the uh, uh there's a cute french name for it i can't think what it is now um, cause but, we're old. but this is, this is, uh, yeah, I, I gotta, no, uh, I'm not yeah. mocking you because no, I'm no, no. here. It's yeah. all spinning through my head going, Nope, that's not the word. That's not yeah. the word, but someone's you, screaming right into editor at fanboyplanet.com. And yeah. we, we mentioned, we talked about this yesterday, of course, but the, the thing that we have to remember is Sandman, this iteration of Span- Sandman wasn't around for very long. It, it didn't have the longevity that a lot of the Kirby characters had, but, to those of us who liked it, it was really a fun book and it had kind of that candy coating uh, for comic books that just hadn't been happening for a long time and still don't happen today. So uh, nice to have a character that that isn't goth who, who's, who spends time in people's dreams solving mysteries and, and creating a, a yeah, better you world. Know, I think when I was a kid, what I loved about I mean, I picked up that I, I think I didn't get the first issue special oh. until years later like i you know as, as as a back issue yeah um you know i went oh it was such a great find because i think i'd gotten like the first official issue of it and loved it and in the years since thought i don't think that jack kirby you know worked in fantasy because that's what it really is it's yeah pseudo scientific kirby crackling but it's still fantasy at its heart. And I don't think he worked in that that much. And so it's one of my favorite Kirby concepts and the back backup stories, which are actually his like two pagers that they're fitting in for this are, you know, super cool. And I, but I'm also going to agree with you that the Dan Jurgens and John Bogdano um, out of the three books I've seen so far of this Kirby uh, celebration, these are the ones, this is the one that looks the most like, you could just see the Kirby DNA in every, not just because of his characters, but just the layout and the way, the way yeah. it's gone. And I'd, ar- yeah. I'd argue, I think we still do have him in the sense that this celebration is proving to me, man, that there is not a superhero artist at least. And let's be fair. I mean, horror artists, everybody has Kirby in their DNA. That, that yeah. influence is still there for everyone. And yet I, the regret I have is like, wow, when you see the reproduction, I would have loved to have seen Kirby working in the medium today with, with the print capabilities that they have. Oh yeah. 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 You know, if Kirby had had Photoshop, Holy crap. What would he have been able to do with those kinds of layouts? Yeah. You know, uh, just be amazing. So the, but the bonus on this, you touched on it just a second is that we have the Kirby splash page introducing the actual Kirby stories. And it's a collection of, Tales, strange stories from the DNA project, which fell out of the Jimmy Olsen uh, mm-hmm. series that he was doing that introduced the fourth world. Um, and these are two page stories. Uh, each one um, 
they they echo back to the the uh, uh, the stuff that showed up um, in Monsters Unleashed and all the the other stuff. But it's 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 wonderful to see a master of storytelling who can do a whole comic book story in two not too terribly packed, but but just uh, just enough to get a story in two pages. So yeah, this, yeah at, I, at four bucks, this is a steal. Uh, five, five bucks. Four, four five ninety nine. Yeah, $4.99. no, but it, yeah, but I do feel like this. These have been absolutely worth it, and uh, yeah, so uh, so uh, so excellent stuff. And then compared to at five bucks, Dark Knight's Metal. No, it's not a steal. They're just stealing a little from us. Uh, with a crossover, actually, it is a very hefty book with this cross crossover that's going to change the DC universe forever by creating the Dark Multiverse. Um, uh, it, it's 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 good, and yet it's very hard for me to, to have worked up a lot of enthusiasm, just because I feel this is another one where where they're rewriting how reality works again, uh, with a lot of cameos that got me somewhat excited. But again, it's like oh, the the universe doesn't the DC universe isn't what I thought it was for this five years. Well, yeah, I, you know, I asked I asked Luke a question about. Um, I can't remember what what continuity thing, where I said like, is it still in continuity that such and such a thing happened? And he went, "What? That happened?" <laughs> I was like, "Okay, I guess it's not <laughs> in the rebirth thing." Um, you know, and this is full of cameos that you know. There's a I I don't know I, I don't want to spoil for anybody, but you know, the, the, they're just cameos that I I think for most people they won't understand who these characters were. Or why it should matter at all, because there's no explanation. It does have a, have a great opening uh, fight with the Justice League facing Mongol. Um, really cool. And it's still not quite moving forward enough yet yeah. in terms of its plot, because we've had three issues, essentially. Dark Knight's, uh, Dark Days, The Forge, Dark Days, The Casting, and then this Dark Knight's Metal. And we, I can still tell you from the first issue... You know, what it was in the second. Uh, what it was in here is that, okay, there's a dark multiverse. Something bad is going to happen, but that something bad hasn't yet actually happened. They just keep rehashing and laying the groundwork for that bad to happen. So let's just get to it. Um, but it's beautifully drawn. Um, it's a it's a, it's a gripping book. It's just, I already feel like I've, like it's taken at least one issue longer than it needed to. Uh, and it's only three issues in. There's a there's a graphic in here that I didn't think I was going to see in this context ever again, you know the the uh, map. Oh, of the of the of the oh, multiverse. multiverse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's also you know I, it's not a spoiler because it's it's listed as this. It's a whole. Um, <laughs> this is also revolving around the the question of Hawkman, who is like the most difficult character for DC to get a grip on. Yeah. Every single crossover that has changed reality, Hawkman has been at the center of all the mistakes. <laughs> it's like because the Crisis on Infinite Earths, Hawkworld messed things up, and uh, you know they just did a Death of Hawkman miniseries, and now it's like, oh, and Hawkman has come. But then they're explaining Hawkman to everybody in the Justice League, and like, but but I thought that was just a, a miniseries establishing that everybody did know him. So I don't, I you know, I, I don't know what's going on. It confuses me, and someone can write in and explain. Let's talk movies, shall we? Yes. Uh, 
Yeah, there was a, there's a little accident on the set of Mission Impossible Six, and why this is going to deal with the, with Geek News is that uh, you know Tom Cruise uh, broke his ankle, and that yes. is that is not funny um, at, at all. But it did delay production because Tom Cruise suddenly discovered on the set of Mission Impossible Six that he was 55 years old, yeah, uh, and and not made out of rubber anymore. Uh, it delayed production by two months so that he can recover and uh, continue doing his own stunts because Tom Cruise never accepts defeat. Um, he, he and by the a, way, it's just amazing to watch him run. You know, I, I know. stunts, no, I mean, stunts long, aside, I've, he he can he can haul. You know, oh, dude, if there's a zombie apocalypse, I'm gonna find where Tom Cruise is and just stand behind him, and we will we will all survive the zombie apocalypse if Tom Cruise is leading. <laughs> The survivors you and know, tom cruise no is question. saying i'm gonna find Derek mccaw because i cannot run him <laughs> look he can outrun most of us yes. <laughs> just saying i'm just gonna say if you stand behind tom cruise he will have destroyed the entire zombie <laughs> board before you can say i oh, wait i are you done with that twinkie <laughs> uh you know so uh <laughs> it's uh anyway why this is an issue is that Mission Impossible 6 has collided with Justice League, which had to re- do reshoots. Um, and there was controversy because Henry Cavill is in Mission Impossible 6 and had a mustache in that. And they had Warner Brothers has had to digitally erase uh, the mustache from Henry Cavill for Superman Reborn scenes. And now with this injury, you realize that Paramount made... <laughs> Made Warner Brothers do all that for nothing. If they'd waited another week, Tom Cruise would have broken his ankle and Tom, Henry Cavill would have had time to be Superman, sh- you know, shave his mustache, and grow it back in time to report again for Mission Impossible. So uh, I, th- I think that uh, the controversy over Mustache Gate is going to be the most important news in, in film in 2017. Certainly the ones we want to talk about. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. <laughs> well, you know, was I, I saw uh, for Thor Ragnarok that uh, Chris Hemsworth was just grateful he didn't have to wear a wig or wear grow his yeah, hair yeah. long. He was so yeah. excited that it's like, oh, I can just you know shave, you know, keep my head head really close, you know. So uh, that's that's uh, that's very very cool. Uh, I, I'm actually kind of glad we're doing a take two tonight because there is. The story that I had yesterday that Lucasfilm has finally confirmed that they are they want to make an Obi Wan Kenobi solo film uh, with Ewan McGregor, although they have not signed him to do it. Though I think every interview Ewan McGregor has given in the last two years has said, "Oh, by the way, I would like to be Obi Wan again." Uh, and uh, so they're looking at Stephen Daldry to direct a uh, very fine, finely regarded director. Um, the update today is they've also leaked that they're trying to develop one is not a surprise that they're trying to develop a Boba Fett solo film. Um, but and this is and well, you know, if you did it the way that Todd McFarlane says he wants to do Spawn, yeah, don't give me any info because I think the more they've told us about Boba Fett, the lamer he's gotten. But the the more mysterious and dangerous he is right and just kind of a force coming in you know tell us a different story that boba fett stumbles into or maybe make a magnificent seven i know marvel already did that with star wars years ago uh decades ago but you know make a magnificent seven with boba fett in there as in the robert vaughn role or something 
and Lucasfilm, feel free to send me a check. Uh, anyway, uh, but the other story that they are saying that I really have no interest is, and maybe they're just trolling us now, they want to do a job of the hut. So uh, okay. Jabba before he gained all that weight. <laughs> yeah, it's the story. Yeah, they just you know get David Lynch to direct an experimental five minute film about young Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> I'll be there, but I don't want to watch a two hour film. <laughs> it's like actually, you know, for all I know, that episode of Twin Peaks with the origin of Bob could just as well have applied to Jabba, and <laughs> that would have been fine. And it stands. So call that the solo film. Um, you know, so I, I don't know. I'm I'm into the Obi Wan Kenobi one because I like Ewan McGregor in the role. Uh, although we talked in take one that you know that the reality of, or at least the continuity that had been established was that he was hiding out on Tatooine for twenty years. We know what happened. Uh, you know, I, I so it, it was implied that he was inactive. So I'm not sure. Although I guess Rebels has had him on a time or two so maybe there's some activity and i'm when i say woefully behind the rebels you know i i watched two episodes of rebels and i said i'll get back to this someday and i still haven't but i need to because it's actually pretty good yeah well everybody tells me that and i liked the show i i like what i saw just and they oh it's this else you know it just it hasn't gotten to that point where i look and go oh rebels is on i can i can watch that so maybe it would work uh, I just think the more we're filling in cinematic backstory, um, maybe maybe it, maybe we're getting what we wanted, and then it's not really going to be what we wanted. And so, I don't know. But we'll all be there, the Church of Star Wars, or whatever the next opening is, and I know that. Um, Samuel Jackson has complained publicly that he is not appearing in Avengers Infinity War. He, he, and, and I will assume as well, not uh, Avengers Infinity War 2, or whatever they're going to call it. And despite Marvel making a big deal at Comic-Con that Captain Marvel would be set in the 90s and feature a Nick Fury with both of his eyes, Samuel L. Jackson says he has not been asked to be in that yet either. I think both his eyes ended up being too expensive. They could afford one. That is true. That is true. You know, I I suspect that, honestly, this is one of the... He's bucking for more money. Um, It wouldn't be the first time... I mean, because he could certainly play, play Nick Fury... 20 years younger and would probably look exactly oh, yeah. the same. Yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, I think it's a possibility that Marvel studios did the, uh, the silly thing. And they're not the first studio to do this is to make an announcement about a project with a, with an actor uh, indelibly in the role uh, and then say, and then forget to actually ask the actor. So he's in a he's in a you know place where he can negotiate for more money. Just as apparently, by the way, Patty Jenkins has officially signed on for Wonder Woman two to direct, uh, and you know it was because she was holding out for she wanted commensurate pay, um, you know, to to get a raise. She was paid like a beginning director's salary for that first Wonder Woman, and now she's a large part of that success and should absolutely be paid at least as much as Zack Snyder was for Man of Steel. Uh, so. Uh, and and certainly as much as Zack Snyder for Batman v Superman, probably twice as much, because Wonder Woman is the first of the DCEU uh, films to cross a billion worldwide. So it's the movie finally doing what DC films and Warner Brothers really wanted their movies to do, and that's because of her. So I, and Gal Gadot. Let's not as you know, let's not take it back. But um, 
you know, uh, they did not lock, I guess they, you know, why they locked Zack Snyder into multi-film deal, but not Patty Jenkins, I don't know. But, uh, you know, so she was in a, in a good position. So let's, uh, let's talk TV. I've got a little more on this story, just a little bit, that uh, ABC has ordered a live-action Jetsons pilot, which we'll assume is kind of sitcom-y, we were assuming. But here's the thing, here's the twist. Robert Zemeckis is the producer. Huh. Which suddenly makes me interested. I don't need a Jetsons live-action sitcom. I've got a cartoon. It's pretty good. Uh, DC Comics is coming out with a with a kind of, I won't say grim and gritty, but a, a more serious look like their Flintstones book with uh, Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti. So it's being thought <coughs> very well in comics. Um, but Zemeckis, it must give me pause. You know, that, like, there's... There's something about this project intriguing him that he wants to be creative and make a comment about. So I don't know. Um, it's just, it's happening. That's all we can say. A, a pilot has been ordered. Doesn't mean there's going to be a series, but it's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. And yet, you know, I go to ABC sitcoms and I, I don't have a lot of faith. We shall see. Uh, the Elongated Man may be debuting, or I think we should say, we knew that Ralph Dibney is appearing in the Flash season four. We're you know we're going to ruin all the. We had such great rhythm with talking about getting CW all over our superheroes, right? Um, but <laughs> but uh, Ralph Dibney will be appearing. It's confirmed that he is in the fourth episode of season four of the Flash. Don't know who, how long before he becomes elongated man, but I'm excited that he's that he's there. I have a feeling that the CW will find that the CWization will make him young and hip and put him in conflict with Barry Allen as he's like a good investigator on the police force um, instead of who we like, you know, kind of the, what was the, what was he originally? Because I know him as the amateur detective. I think oh. he was an amateur detective before he became. The he was just sort of a man. publicity hound. Yeah. Um, you know, he was appearing in the flash. I mean, it's perfect that he shows up in the show. Um, but I, I, I don't think I've ever read a story with him where he wasn't the elongated man. Um, so I think, but the explanation of why he found Gingold and drank that elixir has always been like, well, yeah, it's always been a little, little weird. I gotta go back. Cause I think I have, I think I have like the archive editions where he first, uh, of when he first appeared. So, um, he's a chemist. Was he a chemist? Wow. Yeah, he learned chemistry, and actually, because he was fascinated by um, contortionists and people who had agility and suppleness, and he discovered that they all drank a popular soda called, soda called Green Gold. And so, um, yeah. So he was... Uh, there's a there's a universe there's an entire global spanning crossover for that. What happens when everybody drinks Gingold? It's like yeah. Coke Zero. Yeah, I shouldn't have said that because it's not Coke Zero sugar. Um, it's yeah. it's it's Coke Zero decaffeinated um, vanilla flavored, which you can't find. Yeah. Will it make me stretch? Uh, no, I you know I have not actually seen Coke Zero sugar anywhere yet. Uh, but I know people have had it and said, eh, it's all right. Uh, so the others, other CW show in which the CWization is perfectly appropriate is Riverdale, which is sort of the, 
Twin Peaks take on Archie. And they released a teaser trailer for season two, and it looks like it has one of their of the uh, MLJ superhero characters, the one that doesn't really have superpowers, is the Black Hood. You need to explain uh, MLJ, though. I mean, MLJ. Well, I don't know. I can't remember what MLJ actually stands for. Uh, it's the initials of the original publishers. Uh, you know, so most people right now, I guess, would know it as Red Circle. Uh, many car- many uh, publishers. Archie Comics have tried to license this over the years. Archie, people forget this, like Archie Comics started as a different company and he appeared in Pep after a whole line of superhero comics were out there. Uh, the Shield, uh, The Fly, The Wizard, The Hangman, uh, the, the Black Hood. And uh, so uh, then Archie became the most popular character they had, so everything became Archie Comics and they, and they dropped so... all their superheroes. As they did, brought them back in the 60s, made them very campy. Uh, they're a team called the Mighty Crusaders. The Black Hood is essentially, um, he's their vigilante. He's sort of their low-rent Batman, um, here's depending your, on the origin. Here's your trivia question for, uh, this is a killer trivia question, so what does MLJ stand for? Mm-hmm. It's the first initials of the three creators of um, of the company, I guess. Uh, Morris Coyne, Louis Silberkett, and John Goldwater, MLJ. Mm-hmm. And go- the Goldwater family is still yeah. uh, still owns Archie Comics today. Um, so, yeah, there we, and that's back in 1940, I guess. People forget this. Like, The Shield was actually predates Captain America. So the first patriotic superhero was actually from Archie Comics. I don't think we'll see The, see the Shield on Archie. Although there's rumor, too, that season two of Riverdale could not only introduce the Black Hood, but also supernatural. We might see a little bit of, uh, I don't know if it'll be the chilling adventures of Sabrina or uh, Jughead, the hunger, or if we'll just, let's just go out and out zombie. Let's have afterlife with Archie show up. Maybe as a dream, as long as they don't bring in pure heart, the powerful and super teen, because that'll be too silly and, and atonal. But uh, you can catch up on Riverdale season one on Netflix right now. I'm really get to another one where like rebels, one day I will, I promise. Uh, I still got to finish this Supergirl season two. Um, it's it's, wanna... cra- it's crazy to think about Archie because it's it's been around since World War II. 1930, mm-hmm. 1939 was when it started. And Is that when Pepco- when the company did? But when the I, company was, started. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and it was MLJ at the time. It wasn't, right. but, but it's... Uh, I just remember Archie appeared in Pep Comics, and I think it's like 1943 or 1944. Kind of like trying to do an Andy Hardy sort of thing. And, of course, what did Archie... There's a trivia question. What did... And I can hear you tapping away. What did Archie tell, tell people to call him in the first Archie story? Which they totally um, dropped. Spike? No, I don't know. No, it was very close. It's very close. Uh, he says, I'm Archie, but everybody calls me Chick. Oh... Uh. Yeah, that's one of those guys who's trying to come up with his own. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it never, it you know, it, it yeah. never came up again. But oh, you're uh, right, Archie wasn't until nine, wasn't until 1945. Yeah, yeah, so. Uh, yeah. So they they had a very successful superhero line. DC twice has uh, had licensed them. They were the Impact line, and then they were the Red Circle, <laughs> and then Archie Comics has tried to revive it several times, and I think they're doing again a new version of the Mighty Crusaders. A couple years ago, there was a new Shield. Um, you know, I, it, they're cool characters. 
they just can't seem to, to land. Yeah, Shield, which was inked by our friend Mick Gray. Mick Gray, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, the DC one, the, the most recent Shield from right, uh, from right. Uh, what they called Dark Circle. They changed the name even then because they wanted to make it all seem darker. Yeah, um, yeah, that went well. Um, so I, we've talked about that many times. I, I just can't figure out what's going on with their publication schedule. Anyway, let's talk. There's one one other thing because we got confirmation a few weeks ago. Uh, we're going into the world of virtual reality, which is like TV, only around you. Um, <laughs> that, that Disney uh, made uh, an announcement a couple weeks ago that they are going to create a virtual reality experience called Star Wars Secrets of the Empire, um, which will be placed at both um, Downtown Disney and I still think it's called Steamboat Springs. Because um, I was looking back at this, I can only find it in the Orange County Register uh, article, and so they don't care about Orlando. But it's going to be in both Orlando and Anaheim, and uh, this is with a with a group called The Void, virtual reality creating uh, creative company, uh, which I've not done any experience that did this. I mean, I've done some VR. You know, I think we've both gone through things with the Oculus, the yeah. HTC Vive, so forth. This is that you need to be in kind of a warehouse space. You get your visor, your helmet, uh, and they put a backpack on you, and that's the processor. So you can actually move through the space. That's what yeah, that backpack warehouse. is actually a full computer. You can buy those yeah. now. The, the, uh, so you don't have Ooh, any cables because all the cables, uh, you need a power cable, I guess. Because all the, otherwise all the cables are just between the computer and the headset. That's astounding. It's astounding. So I will assume that there are people there to make sure you don't bump into a wall. Into a wall. But uh, they uh, anyway, it's, it's a warehouse space, basically. And they confirmed yesterday where it's going to go in downtown Disney. Because the original announcement said it was going to be near downtown Disney. Um, and this is supposed to be open uh, by, by Christmas 2017. Kind of tied people over, although for a nominal fee. Uh Rumor, again, I've heard as being about $50 for the experience, but I don't know if that's accurate or if that's just somebody bitterly saying that on the on the Internet. Um, it's kind of tied could you over. Could be both. <laughs> yeah, it could be. <laughs> it's to tied you over until uh, until Galaxy's Edge opens up in in Anaheim. Uh, that's the Star Wars-themed land in Disneyland and, and in the Hollywood studio, and right in the Hollywood studios at uh, in Orlando at the, at the Magic Kingdom. And so, no, I'm sorry, the Magic Kingdom is the park, right? It's a specific park, uh, the Disney Walt Disney World Resort. Uh, so it, that's supposed to be 2019. This should carry us through for, for a year. They're going to close down the Disney Vault 28 uh, store, which was kind of – there's jewelry, there's bric-a-brac. That's what I've most, like, gone in there and gotten, like, like uh, I think nail polish for my daughter. Yeah. Um, and there's clothing items, not it has clothing. stationery and cards and things okay, you can have for okay. your house. It's, uh, it's... I think that the, what they sell could easily get a corner of, of World of Disney uh, there. So I, I'm not so sure I feel the loss so much. I, I'm looking at a photo of it and thinking I do remember feeling somewhat claustrophobic going in there. Like oh, I, yeah, I don't think it was, I didn't think the layout was good. I love the look of the store, the storefront. 
Um, I think it was won't. weird because you went in the door and you could go left or right to get into the store. Yeah, it's the same side. We, so there's this block in the center, and then that was a that was like a a, a stand for a merchandise, and then yeah, yeah. I, I say it was just, it was it was just kind of awkwardly laid out. I'm gonna fix it. Those are gonna close down the fossil store uh, next next door, and just okay. So you don't go to downtown Disney for fossil. But I go in there all the time. Well, I. I the existence of stores that aren't vaguely Disney themed, yeah, there are you know it's kind of odd to me. Like I get the Lego store because they sell a lot of Disney and Marvel stuff as well, um, but you know that's they they were already going to take out Build a Bear and the uh, and the remote control car plates. And, they should just they should make a deal with Hot Topic and put a Hot Topic in there and then put all the stuff from uh, Vault Twenty One. 28 in there yeah 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 it could be i mean then all those storefronts I just mentioned though were you know closing off for restaurants because you know, here's the disney portion of our of our podcast right that if you you know if you've been to downtown disney which is kind of a thriving night spot place there aren't yeah. enough restaurants because because you're always waiting and unless you've made a reservation ahead of time that's the tip this, kids if you're going tip. to disneyland Disney dining, the 800 number for Disney dining is you want to hit that and make all your meals ahead of time. All your Although I want res- to say, you know, I was just there last week with my son and on, on our last night we said, I said, well, where do you want to go? We went to Naples and you know, yeah. they've expanded where their their seating area and there was a huge line and I walked up and I said, okay, you know, we'll, we'll get our, 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 our beeper yeah. and, and we'll, and we'll go look at world of Disney or something. We'll just walk around a little bit. But because it was just two of us, you got in pretty. Yeah. We got in right away, you yeah. know. And so um, it's funny. I always end up in that same spot with my son. It, I we're always at the same table, <laughs> but but you know, if, if you're if you're one or two people, yeah, there's there's room. But if you're with your friends and you know a gr- big group, you should be. You need to make reservations, and there's just no way around it. But and they need more restaurants, so that maybe that will ease up a little bit. But anyway, they're gonna they're shooting to have this open, uh, so. Vault 28 and Fossil are closing by the end of September 2017. And um, it's supposed to open in time. The new Star Wars Secrets of the Empire is supposed to be open in time, as I said, for the holiday season. So that could be as early as November. That's an awful fast turnaround, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, I guess they don't really have to do much physically. Yeah, it's not with bad the space. for retail. Yeah. Yeah, I mean because really what you have to do it, the it's the hardware that's that's their real startup yeah. cost. They must yeah. already have that. So I look forward to that in November. That's uh or or December. It's gonna be pretty exciting. So I think that's that's it for this. Uh we'll uh, I hope you enjoyed the, the interview with Nick Abatsis. Uh we got more to come in the in the weeks ahead, including uh some cast and uh creators of the Orville. That's a little preview. Not sure where that's going to, when it's going to happen, but I think we'll have that out before September 10th. Um, anyway, thanks for listening. And again, if you have any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, uh, write into editor at fanboyplanet.com. I'm Derek McCaw, editor in chief of fanboyplanet.com. And I'm Rick Brett Snyder reminding you to use, use your powers, powers only for good. good. Thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreat.com.
Luke, L-U-K-E-S-K-I dot com.